Pushkin. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentions, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill. It had been 15 years since this alleged murder. Was it still possible to unearth the truth? I used to watch um, the Unsolved Mystery shows, and I often thought about calling because I was like, this is, this is not right. How can a person get killed and no one knows anything? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover The Nameless Man. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear the entire season right now, ad-free, subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcast show page or on pushkin.fm slash plus. Hi, Joel. I was about to write something that involved you, and I figured it's audio. I'll just ask you. This, of course, is my mom, Rosalind Leschuk. Now, in the 1970s, when I was a kid, you owned a business called, I believe, Plants Alive. That's correct. It was like early 70s. I would take cuttings from plants and start new plants, and I grew them. And then we sold them. Who did you sell to and what did you sell them? We sold to plant parties, like Tupperware parties. Mm -hmm. We would bring the plants and the accoutrements, you know, like those hanging macrame things in those years. And we sold fertilizer and all kinds of stuff. So we would bring the plants to somebody's house who was willing to have a party. Was there a lot of drinking at these parties? Um, Whatever the host wanted to serve, really. Was that your way of saying marijuana? I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly. (laughs) It helped to sell more plants. (laughs) I'm sure. We had a station wagon instead of a cool car, just so you could transport. We did. That's very true. And it always had leaves in it. (laughs) (laughs) Some marijuana butts. 
no. <laughs> but, but. And the people you sold to, they just were looking for pretty ferns. Pretty ferns? No, we sold some nice, exotic plants, too. I, <laughs> they were just ferns. I didn't know, wait, is ferns a bad word in the plant world? I had no idea. They're pretty common. I mean, you know, we, we sold some interesting plants. Do you know, plant collecting, I just found out over the last few years, has become a very guy thing. There are these people called plant daddies who are influencers. They're plant influencers on like Instagram and TikTok. Wait, I'm going to show you an Instagram from one of these plant daddies. You can tell me what you think. Wow, nice. Well, he's got ferns. <laughs> <laughs> these guys pose naked with their plants. Oh my God, how bizarre. There's a subcategory within plant daddies, which is guys who collect these obscure carnivorous plants, particularly this kind called pitcher plants or nepenthes, which are these giant like cups where insects fall into. Ooh, gross. Yeah. That's interesting. They look like they're from another planet. They're very colorful and they have like teeth. And more men are into these than women? Yeah, it gets super nerdy and they're hard to get and they're collectible and, and expensive. Is this what your podcast's about? No, it's about this. Guy. I don't want to ruin it for you because you're a listener. Interesting. I never heard of that. All right. Love you, honey. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Writing is hard. Who's got that kind of time when you're already busy trying to be Joe Stein? So it turns on a mic. Maybe twiddles a knob, calls a journalist friend who's got an actual job. Auditory, single story, just listen to smart people speak. Conversation filled with information, it's the story of the week. Within the burgeoning world of plant daddies, who are, of course, male plant fluencers, there are a subset of dudes who collect carnivorous plants. And the big swinging dicks of the carnivorous plant world grow nepenthes, which are the biggest, scariest, most alien-looking of all the insect eaters. Brian Howey wrote an article in Wired magazine about a nepenthes collector who went way too far. Brian, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. I knew about Venus flytraps the way I know about way too much of my knowledge, which is from musical theater. So <laughs> nepenthes are a type of carnivorous plants, or they're all called nepenthes? Uh, they're a genus of carnivorous plant. But this is the one people go crazy for, and they're called pitcher plants because they have what looks like a big cup on them that catches right. insects. And even these things can be like the size of your head, right? And they can catch rodents? That's right. Yeah, there are a few different species that have been observed to capture and digest rodent prey in the wild. And they also attract insects by just being like really compelling looking. Like they have these kind of fantastical Martian looking colors. They look otherworldly, right? Yeah, they do look very bizarre. And they've recently discovered that they give off a UV light that only insects can see that makes them shine blue. Wow. Okay. People are collecting these things now? Yeah, absolutely. They've gotten really popular over the past 20 years with social media and combined with millennials becoming really obsessed with houseplants. They've just blown up recently, yeah. 
like Nepenthes collectors have a reputation in the carnivorous plant world of being sort of like the snobs, like the elitist <laughs> carnivorous plant collectors. And, you know, that's because of how much work goes in and work and money goes into growing these things. Is it like a stoner heavy metal guy thing? I mean, there are definitely your stoner heavy metal heads who are into this, but I'd say it's mostly a, a nerdy, like, science guy oh. thing. Oh, yeah. like a guy who, as a kid, collected, like, lizards or something. Totally. Totally. Okay. And how much do these things cost? It really depends on the plant. You can pick up, you know, a pretty generic or commonly available Nepenthes plant for 10 bucks. But, I mean, I recently saw a specific cultivar that's really popular in the Pinthes circles. They were selling for four or 5,000 bucks a pop. And what do you feed these things? A lot of people will feed them fertilizer pellets or will buy freeze-dried worms and tweezer them into the plants and feed each pitcher one at a time. They have these routines. They're very, they treat them like pets. And you, you wrote about this guy named Matt Orchard who collects these things. But is that his real name or is that like his plant growing name, Matt Orchard? Is like, <laughs> no. is this world like hip hop where you get a name? <laughs> so, some people do have names. Um, they have their Instagram handles that they go by, but Matt Orchard is Matt's real name, yeah. So this guy, Matt Orchard, he's a big collector. What What's he like? So Matt, much like me, he had never actually given two shits about plants. Can I curse on this show? If you don't curse about plants, then you're not a cool plant collector. <laughs> okay. I know you people. You have filthy mouths. So Matt didn't give two shits about plants, but he's in college in Portland. He goes to a farmer's market with a friend and his friend buys one of these Nepenthes pitcher plants from a local vendor. And Matt, all of a sudden, it was like the light shone down from the heavens onto this plant. And he finally realized how beautiful the plant world was, right? And so he gets one and then he gets two and then he gets three. And over the course of two years, he goes from like, I don't care about plants to my entire life revolves around Nepenthes. He transforms his entire apartment into basically a grow chamber. He's got fluorescent lights hanging from the ceiling. He's, he eventually buys like a grow tent that people who grow weed in their house use, a fogger that he buys that actually ends up filling his entire apartment with mist, like he just moved into the jungle or something. And do people just think he's a freak? Like, has he lost all his friends and he's just hanging out with his plant friends? Well, no, because there are a lot of people who are really into this. And he actually ends up starting his own carnivorous plant club in Portland. And, you know, is getting coffee with the old timers who are telling war stories about how back in my day I had to mail order the plants and we didn't have Nepenthes Raja in our collections. Now Wait, what's Nepenthes Raja? Uh, Nepenthes Raja is one of those pitcher plants that makes pitchers the size of a human head, right? They've been... Wait, literally? Observed. Like, how big is this whole plant? The plants themselves, you know, they can be several feet across. They've been observed in the wild to capture and digest rodents and small birds. They're sort of a, a prized possession, one of these prized species that, that people try to grow. They're also incredibly rare in the wild and protected as well. And he's got one? He does end up getting one. He ends up buying several of them, actually. Okay, so he's got all these new Nepenthe friends, and he's got all these plants in his house. Like He's spending all his money on this, I assume. 
Yeah. It gets to the point where his girlfriend's having to front his rent money to him oh. at the end of the month. She's asking him not to buy plants, but boxes full of plants keep showing up in the mail. It's, you know, it starts to put strain on their relationship. He's like an addict. Yeah, that's how he would describe it. And that's how I would describe it, too. He, he was absolutely addicted to Nepenthes. So he's got these other friends in Portland that he meets at this bar regularly, mm-hmm. which is where he meets uh, a newbie collector named Jimmy. Who is he and what is he like? Jimmy shows up at one of these carnivorous plant club meetings that Matt has been putting on. And he's poking around. He's asking questions. He's staring at the plants. Matt immediately thinks that he is a thief, right? Because there are so many people in the Nepenthes world who are willing to break into each other's greenhouses and steal plants to get these enviable species. Uh, so Matt thinks he's out to out to steal plants, but Jimmy keeps asking questions. And these are questions that typically come from someone who's never grown the plants before, which makes Matt think that maybe Jimmy's just a noob. And so Matt takes him under his wing and starts to show him the ropes about Nepenthes collecting. Brings Jimmy to his apartment with other collectors and shows off his collection. I'm surprised that like this nerdy group of guys in STEM fields rob each other. Like that doesn't, that doesn't seem right. You know, not everybody in this is a, is from the STEM field, but I think you can also attribute some of this to the collector mania that you see with collectors and all sorts of different hobbies. Things can get dark when people are obsessed with getting the next one. I mean, these are the Pokemon of the plant world. You know, people are trying to catch them all. Okay, so Matt Orchard, who's this Nepenthes plant collector, gets a warning out of nowhere from the Fish and Wildlife Service saying that one of his packages, which had like 35 plants in it, had been seized as it came from Malaysia. So what does that warning look like? It's a very official looking letter. Basically says, hey, we have seized all of these plants. We think that they've been illegally imported. By the way, if you keep doing this, you know, you could face fines and felony charges. So does he freak out when he gets that? A little bit. He's a little nervous, but he goes to his fellow collectors, some of whom have received similar letters and they assure him that it's no big deal. They say, listen, I've gotten these too. That's part of the game. It is a little hard to be scared of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Department. It's not like the FBI. No, they're not like the FBI, but they are a law enforcement agency and they do have the power to arrest you. Matt probably buried the Fish and Wildlife letter under an enormous pile of unpaid electricity bills that he racked up taking care of his plants. And then he went off to order some more illegal plants. But soon, Matt would find himself ensnared in a very sticky trap. One that he couldn't climb out of. Just like the helpless flies he was feeding to his Nepenthes. But first, our sponsors are going to try and sell you some stuff that's made from plants. Because I promise you, this podcast is a lot funnier when you're high. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. 
Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase Mobile App is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JP Morgan Chase Bank, NA member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentions, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill. It had been 15 years since this alleged murder. Was it still possible to unearth the truth? I used to watch um, the Unsolved Mystery shows, and I often thought about calling because I was like, this is, this is not right. How can a person get killed and no one knows anything? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear the entire season right now, ad-free, subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcast show page or on pushkin.fm slash plus. Ever since he got the warning letter from Fish and Wildlife, Matt knew he was illegally importing endangered plants that were poached in the wild. But he didn't stop ordering them. I mean, this is really starting to sound like an ABC after-school special. Okay, so Matt, on one morning in April of 2016, gets a loud knock at his door. Yeah, Jimmy's at his door. Jimmy, who's been learning the ropes of pitcher plant collecting, except it's it's not Jimmy, the plant noob collector. Jimmy's wearing a bulletproof vest that says Fish and Wildlife Service on it. And Jimmy is actually special agent Jimmy Barna, who has just ended a two-year-long undercover sting of Matt and his illegal pitcher plant collection. What happens at that point? Do they just seize all his plants or arrest him or what happens right so uh, about a dozen fish and wildlife agents a stream, dozen yeah for matt for matt yeah they stream into his apartment they they raid the place they take all of his plants they're photographing all of them tearing down all of his grow equipment putting tags on everything cataloging everything over the course of something like 12 hours right and matt's just sitting on his bed in shock and you have to understand here that at this point, Matt's entire life, his his ego itself is wrapped up into this collection. And he's just watching it being torn down and taken away from him. 
And so while this is happening, he's being interviewed by the agents and telling them about, you know, how he gets these plants. He thinks that they're like looking for money because they they seem to think it's part of some bigger operation that he clearly wasn't a part of. But simultaneously, in several other places, there are other fish and wildlife agents knocking on the doors of some of Matt's fellow collectors who he'd done business with because they think that this is part of some bigger plant smuggling operation. So Jimmy made a mistake. Jimmy thought Matt was a much bigger like Nepenthes kingpin than he was. It seems that way, yes. What's funny is that right before Matt gets busted, there's a local magazine that does a story about Jimmy and his efforts to do undercover poaching stings. And in this story, he says that he's currently working on some carnivorous plant poaching operation stings. And so had Matt happened to have read this article, he might have actually been tipped off as to what was coming. This is so Bush League. We've done a couple stories about like undercover bus and you don't do an interview with a magazine <laughs> about how you're doing an undercover bust in the middle of your undercover bus. Yeah, no, I thought that was pretty funny. Fish and wildlife. <laughs> not, not impressed. <laughs> Shouldn't they be going after someone bigger than Matt? Like, isn't, isn't there someone bigger up the chain? Uh, yeah, I mean, based on what I found, most of this Nepenthes poaching pipeline is pretty small time. You know, this is nickel and dime stuff. The problem is, is that there really are only nickels and dimes left of Nepenthes in the wild. And a lot of species are, there's only a few dozen of them known to be left in the wild. And so if one poacher goes up and spends a couple of hours cutting these plants down, that can be a whole species gone like that. And what law was Matt actually breaking? Matt was violating the Lacey Act, which is basically the United States version of an international agreement between a bunch of different countries to cut down on poaching. And so basically there's a list that protects species like pandas and leopards and orchids and nepenthes. Nepenthes raja, which we talked about earlier, is on the same level of protection as pandas and other critically endangered species, right? And so the Lacey Act in the United States enforces this list. Uh, did he know this? Like, what's going on there? I think that Matt had some idea that what he was doing was illegal because some of these plants that he's buying are coming straight from Indonesia and Malaysia. He starts receiving these plant packages, the ones that the feds don't seize. The plants inside of them are tattered. They have sunburnt leaves. Some of the leaves are ripped off. There's like moss and dirt clinging to the roots. And that's not typically what you see from plants that are coming from reputable nurseries. Um, I think that Matt, he eventually puts two and two together and realizes these plants are actually being ripped out of the ground and bagged up and sent to him straight from the jungles of Indonesia. So the legal ones come from nurseries. You can grow them in nurseries. They're a little more expensive and they're very small and these are slow growing plants. So it's very tempting to get one from the wild that's fully grown and looks cool. 
Absolutely. Say, okay. you know, take Nepenthes villosa, for instance. This is one of the slower growing plants. It grows at very high altitudes. It's also one of the most sought after plants in the genus. Everyone wants one. But from seed, you're looking at anywhere from 10 to 30 years before it gets to the size where you can get a thousand likes on Instagram for posting a picture of it. But at the time that Matt was collecting them, this wasn't that long ago. It was 2016. But even then, it wasn't as widely known how imperiled Nepenthes were in the wild and how much collecting was a part of that process. How imperiled are they? There was a recent uh, ecological survey conducted by a few Nepenthes experts that found that more than a quarter of Nepenthes species are threatened by poaching. And about 13 of those species are on the brink of extinction. A couple of them are already gone. There are two species that are suspected to be extinct in the wild, and it is believed that they were driven to extinction solely by collectors. Okay, so these poachers in Malaysia, you, you went there to go meet some of these guys, right? I did. I did get to meet one of them, yeah. And it was not easy to get there, I assume. It wasn't. It, uh, it was about three days of flying. About wow. uh, 12 hours of that was spent laying on the floor of the Manila airport. Uh, another day or so was spent driving up into the mountains of Borneo and then uh, hike up this mountain in the middle of the jungle. Wait, how long a hike was it? It was a three-day hike. Whoa, uh, so you were camping? Right, so it's a, a day of hiking up to a base camp area and then another day of hiking to the peak, which is where some of the rarest species live. And I was like having to take breaks and like collapsing on the ground every few hours. <laughs> so, once you get to the top, the mountain gets encircled by clouds. And so you're basically on this island of mountain peaks. The only thing you can see are the other peaks that poke above the cloud line. And there are Nepenthes pitcher plants hanging from all of the branches. Did you see signs of poaching even all the way up there? We did, yeah. We found chunks of a Nepenthes macrophylla that had been chopped into pieces. And it was just the remainders, the leftovers that the poachers had left behind. This was clearly a giant plant that had been chopped into pieces and shoved into backpacks in the night as they tried to get out of there. It was honestly really devastating because this species is um, critically endangered. Did it feel like a murder scene? A little bit. It definitely hit me. It, it cut me deep to see that. I was, I was very sad to see that. So then you went in to find an actual poacher and, and you met this guy. What was he like? Yeah, so Shaw... Um, <laughs> Shaw is not his real name. Um, you know, he interviewed on the condition that we not use his real name. And wait, what? when you meet him, is he what you expect or is he different? He was jovial. He was friendly. You know, he offered to share his tobacco with me. He offered to buy me lunch. He seemed like a pretty nice, straightforward guy to me. Etiquette wise, as a reporter, you have to buy the poacher lunch, not vice versa. <laughs> yeah, that's that's typically how it is. I ended up buying him lunch, yeah. Good. I just wanted mm -hmm. to make sure. Right. Uh, and does he feel bad about poaching or why does he poach? Back in 2015, he had a full-time job. He was using that to support his family. He has multiple kids and a wife. He lives in a small village in rural Malaysia. Um, that full-time job was enough to get by until he got laid off. Can he make more poaching than he could even at the job when he had it? 
Yeah. You know, most of the people in his village are working in rubber plantations. They're just barely scraping by. And actually what a lot of the people in his village do to supplement their income is poach exotic plants like orchids and nepenthes and all sorts of other things. And, you know, he told me, like, I've got to buy my kids school supplies. I've got to put food on the table. I've got a bunch of kids and a wife to support. So as long as these orders keep coming in, I'm going to keep going into the jungle to get these plants because I have to do what I have to do. And going into the the jungle, even though I assume he's in much better shape than you, like how dangerous (laughs) is this for him? Yeah, he does face a lot of risk going into the jungle to get these plants. Uh, aside from the wildlife and the all of the poisonous things that he's coming in contact with. And by the way, he's walking into the jungle for days at a time and just camping out with canvas that he's strung up in the trees, right? He brings a machete with him for for protection from snakes and bears and You know, at the same time, he's risking running into rangers who do regular patrols of the forest. He told me that recently some people he knows from a neighboring village were caught poaching plants and got prison time for it. And that's definitely something that he's concerned about and something that he worries about a lot. But again, it just comes down to what he has to do for his family. And I think that this story speaks a lot to the, you know, the level of privilege that people in this plant poaching pipeline experience and how that privilege plays out in their decision making. You know, right, because the guy in America gets like a letter in the mail warning him and Malaysian police are actually taking it far more seriously and putting the poachers in jail. Right. Yeah. I mean, people are facing actual prison time here, whereas the collector is doing this for the sake of collecting the plants and having a hobby. Shaw is doing this because he has a family to feed. Meanwhile, back in America, Matt, did he serve time? Like what happened to him? He didn't end up serving any time. Um, he After two and a half years of undercover work, he doesn't serve any time? Yeah, that's that's the part that's really shocking is that Jimmy spends all of this time doing this undercover sting. He got warrants. And magazine profiles, let's face that. <laughs> yeah. And he's, you know, he's going through Matt's emails. He's going to his house and taking all these pictures. He's recording conversations he's having with him. And so, you know, you can get up to five years in federal prison and a $20,000 fine for violating the Lacey Act. But Matt gets three years probation and a $100 court fee. He's also forbidden from purchasing Nepenthes during his probation. Well, sure. So, How do we feel about that? Do we do we, do we think that's fair? I mean, I, I'll let Matt speak for this in that he felt like getting caught was actually a, a huge help to him and helped him break his addiction and move oh. on with his life. And so, I mean, yeah. Matt being a straight white guy in the United States, getting a small court fee compared to Shaw, who's facing years in prison for being part of the same industry. I mean, I, I think that people can draw their own conclusions on that. How, how is he now? What's Matt up to? He's doing well. He's doing well. He interviewed on the condition that I not divulge where he is now or what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say that he's he's doing much better now. He doesn't collect anything anymore. He's got a stable job, a new girlfriend, and he's doing great. I do think it's important to note that Matt feels a lot of remorse for what he did. I mean, one of the species that he was that he bought from a poacher is now extinct from the wild, and he that's not lost on him. Brian, you were an avid collector of pitcher plants. 
Are you still collecting these things? In reporting this, I definitely lost a lot of my luster for these plants. After speaking to the scientists who have been following this closely and realizing how much collectors, even those who don't buy poached plants, are driving this industry simply by popularizing it, uh, I felt that I needed to be responsible and stop buying these plants. Brian Howie, who wrote When a Houseplant Obsession Becomes a Nightmare for Wired Magazine, thank you so much for uh, writing this and telling us about it. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be on the show. And I really hope you find some help. <laughs> Thanks. I'm looking. <laughs> Brian's story wasn't actually my introduction to Nepenthes collectors. I had read an article a couple months ago in Stanford Magazine. It was about these two guys who'd been on the wrestling team together, but they hadn't talked in a while. One had become a Microsoft analyst. The other was an engineer at Google. Uh, again, Stanford. So one of them pulls into this nursery called California Carnivores, and he looks out his window, and in the car next to him, he sees his old teammate. They had both collected carnivorous plants in their dorm rooms, but had never told each other. That's how nerdy collecting these plants is. Even Stanford students were embarrassed by it. Now, both of these guys each owns a carnivorous plant nursery. This is not a coincidence. The Nepenthe world is full of rich tech dudes. There's this tinkerer meets Burning Man quality to growing Nepenthes. It's yet another thing of beauty that's been ruined by the male ego, much like Burning Man itself. My mom should definitely reboot Plants Alive, only in Palo Alto. She'd make a killing. At the end of the show, what's next for Joel Stein? Maybe he'll take a nap or poke around online. Our show today was produced by Mo Laborde and Nisha Venkut. It was edited by Robert Smith. Our engineer is Amanda K. Wang. And our executive producer is Catherine Girardot. And our theme song was written and performed by Jonathan Colton. And a special thanks to my voice coach, Vicki Merrick and my consulting producer, Lauren Zelaznik. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Joel Stein, and this is Story of the Week. My partner has definitely made a lot of Freud jokes uh, about my collection, and you can certainly see why, because before the pictures open, they look just like dicks. And after they open, they look like vaginas. Oh, and that's why people are posing naked with them. I mean, that's definitely part of the sexual allure, I think, yeah. Up next week, the weirdest hand ever played in the history of poker. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentioned, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. 
They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill. It had been 15 years since this alleged murder. Was it still possible to unearth the truth? I used to watch um, the Unsolved Mystery shows, and I often thought about calling because I was like, this is, this is not right. How can a person get killed and no one knows anything? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear the entire season right now, ad-free, subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcast show page or on pushkin.fm slash plus. Plus.